If you've got your Bibles, uh, first of all, <laughs> you know you got a good thing. Uh, you, you literally have the mind of Christ sitting in your hands. And I, I don't know if I could effectively uh, uh, be able to convey uh, the uh, unbelievableness of all that. Uh, but do know, uh, we, we have a precious commodity. And uh, I hope you think that you do have a precious commodity uh, with the Word of God. I, I certainly hope it doesn't just sit uh, on your uh, uh, nightstand or, or your bookcase all week waiting for Sunday. Uh, I hope you're in it every day. I hope you want to hear from God every day. And I hope that uh, it excites you to know that you can hear from God every day. And, and the way you're going to hear from Him is right there in that book. So, uh, uh, but if you got your Bibles, uh, you're going to want to open up to Exodus 19. Um, and just to give you a little uh, uh, get ready, uh, we're also going to hit Hebrews 3 and Jeremiah 7. Uh, so we'll, we'll be looking at those different chapters right there. Um, so again, Exodus 19, uh, Hebrews 3, Jeremiah uh, chapter 7. Uh, so last week, uh, we kind of delved into this, uh, this uh, uh, new message series, if you will. Uh, we spent, uh, what, two and a half years uh, running through the book of Acts, uh, and uh, we, we finished that up. Uh, obviously, uh, what, a couple, couple weeks ago now, uh, last week I told you I don't want to end, uh, if you will, uh, with the book of Acts because, uh, you know, obviously uh, we uh, know that as we ran through the book of Acts, every time a New Testament book was written, we kind of stopped and, and just took a quick look at what was being, uh, you know, what was written there. And we looked at uh, Romans, and we looked at First and Second Corinthians, and we looked at First and Second Thessalonians, and Galatians. Uh, we looked at James, and we looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Though all those books were written uh, at uh, uh, the same time frame uh, that follows the historical look of the Acts of the Apostles, and uh, uh, when we kind of were done with that, I, I said, hey, okay, but we still have a lot of other New Testament books that we haven't looked at um, that get written after uh, Paul's in the Roman prison. Um, uh, in, 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 and so, uh, you know, around 62 AD is when he was there uh, for two years. Uh, and what I said is, uh, let's, let's continue the journey, if you will. Uh, and, and, of course, if you want a historical rehashing of what takes place. Uh, the, the Bible does have a historical rehashing of what took place. Uh, just look at Revelation chapter 2, the verse 9 uh, verses, uh, which talks about the church at, at where? At where? Ephesus. Well, isn't it isn't interesting that the first prison epistle that Paul wrote was the Ephesians. Hmm. I wonder if there's something to that. Uh, and as you will see when we get there, there is something to that. And uh, we will definitely dig into that at the time. Uh, but what I told you was, hey, listen, if we're really going to grasp, if we're really going to get everything that Paul has to say in Ephesians 
and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon and First and Second Timothy and Titus. And regardless of who wrote it, I believe it was undoubtedly Paul who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews. If we're going to really grasp what's going on in those books, you better, you better understand the tabernacle. You better understand the tabernacle because he's hitting things in there. Uh, I was talking with Chris this morning, right, brother? We were driving to church. Now, listen, man, I think Chris is a man of God, man. I think Chris is very well-versed in the Bible, okay? And so this isn't a shot against him at all. But we were talking about something in Colossians, <laughs> Justin, <laughs> right? This happened with you and me and you this week in discipleship, right? Didn't have the tabernacle eyes on and missed what was going on there and what, what Paul was really saying. And, I, and although we certainly can glean things and certainly we can get some good things out of it, just please hear what I'm telling you, man. I believe this with everything I got in me and it's going to sound like a, maybe a harsh statement, although I'm not meaning it to be harsh. I'm just trying to open our eyes to something. If you don't understand the tabernacle, in its entirety, your relationship with Christ probably isn't where it needs to be because that was the purpose of the tabernacle and you need to understand that. And just because it was an Old Testament thing doesn't mean spiritually it doesn't apply to us because it does. Absolutely 100%. That's why Paul Paul refers back to the book of Leviticus over 40 times. Well, everything that took place in Leviticus took place where? In the tabernacle. Okay? And, and, and I'll say, uh, honestly, guys, I'd be willing to, you know, if I had to put a number on it and don't, you know, whatever, it's just a number. I'd be willing to bet 90% of what Paul wrote in his church epistles either directly or indirectly, is speaking about the tabernacle. Do you know what I just said? I'd be willing to bet that's probably true. And so if you want to understand what Paul's saying, you got to grasp the tabernacle. It is an important study. I was uh, talking with uh, uh, Pastor Robert this morning and, and Brother Chris, and, and we were just kind of having a little conversation here. And, and I said this, and, and please hear me out. I don't know how long we're going to be in this tabernacle study before we jump into Ephesians because I'm not going to put a time limit on this because I think it's that important. What I can tell you is we could probably spend another two years on this subject very easily. We won't. But the stuff that I am going to share with you I think is of utmost importance and, and, and what I am going to say, if we have ears to hear, And if we are serious about our relationship with Christ, I promise you with everything I got in me that when this is done, if you apply what we are going to see God says, this isn't what Pastor Frank thinks. I'm going to bring you to verses and let you read them yourselves and look what God says, okay? If we apply these things, it will transform one Baptist church. We will be transformed. 
we will enter into his presence boldly, and we will have the relationship that God in his word says we can have, not what other churches say or what the world says or what we think. We're going to know what actually God says about this thing and how this all applies to us. And and I'm telling you, (laughs) this could be the moment in your life, in my life, in the life of this church, where everything just clicks. And we go, oh. Y'all with me on that? Does that that sound like this might be important? I'm trying to make sure you understand this is important. This is important. And I think by the time I get out of done today, you're going to go, okay, something's different about this. Something's going on here. Okay. So last week, if you didn't hear the message last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Okay, although it had really ultimately nothing to do with the tabernacle because we really didn't jump into it uh, all that much, the point I was trying to make last week and what I wanted you to see and understand is God teaches his doctrinal truths through his book by similitudes. That's how he does it. He flat out said it in Hosea 12.10. So there's no questions asked. He flat out says it. And then he reiterates that in Hebrews chapter number one, verses one and two. So there's no way around it. When God is going to teach a doctrinal truth, he is going to provide pictures for you of that truth. If you can't find a picture of the truth you're trying to propagate, it's probably not a doctrinal truth and it's something you are fabricating or you're buying into somebody's uh, false teaching on the subject. Let me give you one quick example. One quick example. The rapture of the church. There is so many different teachings on the rapture of the church. The most prominent ones are obviously what we would call pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Okay, and what that means is there's a period of time the Bible talks about, which is a tribulation, uh, which if you read Daniel and Revelation, you're going to find out that this tribulation is Daniel's 70th week, which is a seven-year period of time that's going to take place on planet Earth uh, sometime in the future. I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world today. Uh, certainly seems like we're getting close to what those events are going to lead to, okay, Uh, you you really can't argue that if you let the Bible just be the Bible. That's what it says, okay? Uh, uh, But where people get messed up is, okay, what's this rapture thing? Well, this rapture thing, first of all, the word rapture is not found in your Bible. It's a Latin word, which means rapturel, okay? What does it mean? It means caught up. And what what that is, is there's gonna come a time, because we aren't appointed to wrath, 1 Thessalonians uh, 1.10. Uh, uh, there's going to come a time that before God executes his wrath on planet earth, he is going to remove his church. The question is, is he going to remove it before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? Hence, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. 
Everybody on board with that? Got it? Okay. So those are the three major teachings of the rapture. Okay. All right. So if you believe in mid-trib, this is what I would say. Okay. If God's going to teach a doctrinal truth about something, he's going to teach it via his word, he's told us, through a similitude. Find me a similitude in the Bible where you would be able to say mid-trip. Yeah, see? God let somebody go through wrath to about the halfway point and then took them out. Find that. Or if you're going to teach post-trib, I would say, okay, find in the Bible where God let somebody go through all of his wrath and then took them out. Okay, pre-trib. Find somewhere in the Bible where God pulled somebody out before he executed his wrath. If you can find it, then you know the answer. And you know you've got a doctrinal truth from God and his word. And you know that you can stand on that truth now. And so here you go, ready? You ain't going to find a mid-trib. Good luck. Have fun. Let me know when you find it. I, I would like to think I know my Bible pretty well. And I ain't found it yet. And I haven't found a post-trib one either. I have found a whole lot of pre-trib stuff. A whole lot. For example, okay, when, when God pulls uh, his uh, 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 Enoch. Here's a good, and by the way, Enoch is a picture of the church. Uh, I don't have time to get into all that right now, but I promise you, when you look at the way God said, oh, he walked with God, what, what, what is the church supposed to do? Walk in the spirit, walking with, uh, there's a lot of parallels to Enoch and the church. Enoch was a Gentile. God announced that there was a coming judgment coming to Enoch's boy, Methuselah. You know what that word means? His death shall bring. On the very year that Methuselah died, the flood came. Did you know that? God's a pretty cool dude. And I mean that with all reverence. Bro knows his stuff. He's on it, man. He's got this thing down. And what did he do with Enoch before he sent that flood? Come on, help me. He translated them and took them out. There's a picture of a pre-trib rapture. I got one. Now I can go, okay, if not for anything, I got something to prove a pre-trib rapture. Now, this isn't about the rapture, so I'm not going to spend any more time on that. But do note this. There's more. I could talk. Lot? Anybody? He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? What did he do with Lot? Pulled him out before he sent the wrath. We could go on and on and on. I could get... We have a whole lot of evidences and pictures to that truth. You understand? Okay. So here we go. The whole point of last week was to show you through that whole Exodus story, and we listed maybe, what, 30 different things, okay? And listen, I had a list of literally hundreds of stuff I could have showed you. Obviously, I can't go to all of them. But, but I, I picked some of the more prominent ones and some of the stories that we would know pretty well through the Exodus story, okay? And I showed you how each one of those things pictured a New Testament truth. 
Israel represents who? Pharaoh represents who? Egypt represents what? The world. They were a taskmaster. Israel was, was being uh, uh, in bondage to Egypt, Pharaoh. Y'all, y'all with me on all that? Okay. It's all a big picture. Moses was sent to deliver them. They went through the Red Sea, which pictures a, and by the way, did they get wet? Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? God has a way of making his book idiot proof. He does. He says, whoa. You know, because what we do it all the time, man. Come on. How many people have you talked to and you've had conversations with and you're like, hey, this is what I think. Well, this is what I think. Well, that's just your interpretation. Well, here's the beautiful thing. If you have any love for God at all and you let his word tell you the truth, the Bible says no prophecy of the scriptures for any private interpretation. In other words, you ain't supposed to be interpreting it anyways because you can't. <laughs> okay? Without the spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2, hello, you couldn't interpret it even if you wanted to. No, compare scripture with scripture. Let God teach you. If, he doesn't, if he's telling you something here, I promise you the answer is somewhere else in his book. That's the way he made the book dummy-proof. The problem is we are so stuck on ourselves and think we're so smart, we become even bigger dummies. Huh? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Okay. I spent all that time last week because I wanted to show you how God most definitely teaches through similitudes. With all that being said, let's find out what we got to find out about this tabernacle. So, so every Jew that crossed the Red Sea was, was commanded to follow who? Who was it that the God sent them to follow? Moses. Uh, they were told to go to Canaan. But what should have been an 11-day journey turned into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Can we say it like this? They got out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. Y'all remember the pictures? They got out of the, They were delivered from the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of darkness didn't get out of them. They still... Like, you ever hear somebody say this in the Bible, right? Like dogs, they went back to the vomit. You hear me? Y'all hear me, what I'm saying? Okay. This is what, so this is what they did. And because that's what they did, they were in a wilderness for 40 years. How many times have I heard people say, oh, man, yeah, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Yep, I know my stuff. And then you start talking to them and they don't know their, they don't know nothing. You want to know why? Because they're still in the wilderness. Yeah, they, they, yeah, maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they did get delivered from Egypt. Maybe they did, but they're in a wilderness. And that's where they're stuck. And God will leave you 
and me and anybody else, for that matter, right there. He'll say, have at it, man. I got time. God's got time, don't Would you all agree? He's outside of time. And what happened to these Israelites, man, you remember what we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 10? With many of them, he was, what? Displeased. Why? Because they committed idolatry, fornication. They were tempting God, and they, what? Murmured. And remember what I told you? The many that he was not well pleased with, rough estimates tell us at least 2 million Jews came out of Egypt. I mean, if you look at the book of Numbers and you see all the men of war, you know, that adds up to somewhere around 700,000 men. Now you've got to add the women and the children. Okay, so I think a rough estimate of around 2 million is close. Anyways, again, don't hold that to it, but you get the point. Do you know how many people actually got into the place where God wanted to send them? Two. Two got to where God actually wanted them. Joshua and Caleb. That's it. So, obviously, there's some things we need to pay attention to. They never reached the place that God wanted them to be. The thief and the murderer, John 8, kept their longing to be back in Egypt and stole from them, as a thief does, the place of rest, the place where God wanted them so that they could live more abundantly. Huh? Hello? Okay? When they exited Egypt, they were not just to come out. They were to go into something. God didn't just bring them out of Egypt so that they could stick around and do whatever they wanted to do. No, God brought them out of Egypt to bring them in to the promised land. So many Christians, if that's what they are, they got brought out. And that's as far as they ever go. And what does Paul consistently tell us time and time? Put off, put on, put off, put on. What is he referring to? Put off Egypt and put on the promised land. That's what he's telling us, okay? And it's important to understand that. And it's only when we get to that promised land that we now can live an abundant life. And you want to, can you grow fruit in a wilderness? No, you can only grow fruit where it's beaming with milk and honey. And what does God want us to do? John 15, hello? Bear much fruit. So, so get into the promised land for anybody who claims the name of Christianity isn't a, eh, if you get there. No. Getting to the promised land is the whole reason, the whole purpose why God set that tabernacle up on this planet Earth to begin with. Do you, do you understand that? Yeah, you, and if you don't, 
You need to understand that because it's that important. It's that important. God wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. Does he want us to be a kingdom of priests? Just go ask Peter. He'll let you know. Yes, we are to be a kingdom of priests. Why? Why were they to be a kingdom of priests? So that the surrounding kingdoms could know who God really was. Hello. We're not of this world, but we're in the world. Right? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be going to the surrounding nations and telling people about who? Go ye therefore. <laughs> Y'all with me on that? Okay. All right. But why, why did Israel never live up to what it was they were called to do during that Exodus time? Well, God doesn't leave it to chance. He lets you know what they got caught up in. They got caught up in fornication, which if we compare Scripture with Scripture, is adultery. They got caught up in idolatry, which if we compare Scripture with Scripture, is covetousness. They got caught up in murmuring, and they got caught up in tempting. And listen, I'm not a very smart dude by any measure, but I can tell you what leads us to idolatry. Idolatry. I can tell you what leads to adultery. I can tell you what leads to tempting. And I can tell you what leads to murmuring. When it's all about me. That leads to all four of those things. Am I wrong? There it is. Why would we murmur? Because we don't like something. Our opinion matters. That's why we murder. We tempt because, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it the way out. We don't like obedience. We don't like submission. Right? Adultery. Because our flesh just, well, you see that, that girl, man, she's pretty cute. All about my flesh. Idolatry. When you put anything, any of your wants and needs above God. So, the problem is, the reason why they didn't get to where God wanted them to be is because they were a bunch of Old Testament Laodiceans. And there you go. Why, Pastor Frank, do you always preach on this stuff? You're so hard about it. Why are you so, why, you're always constantly, it almost seems like you're beating us up. Let me tell you why I'm constantly beating you up. Because we are just like those Jews in the Old Testament. We're a bunch of Laodiceans. We are all about self. And God doesn't like it at all to the point he made sure he put in his book where he said, it makes me sick. I will literally spew you out of my mouth. (laughs) When we hear that, we go, man, that's so hard. That's so rough. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Does that matter? I'm just saying, 
we all sit around and we say how much that book is so important in our lives and how much we love Christ and how much we love the Bible and how much we love this. And how, Do you know being a Laodicean makes him sick? Huh? Hey, let's get past that first. We got to get past that first. And the only way you're going to get past it is to understand this tabernacle. Because here's the deal. How many times do you hear people say this? Okay? Oh, yeah, man. I really do have a problem with that. I got to fix that. Yeah, you know, man, I do this. I do that. I shouldn't do this. I do I got to fix that. Can I just help you with something? Can I just help you with something? Eh. There's where you're wrong. And there's where you'll never fix it. You want to know why you'll never fix it? Because you can't. Your heart is desperately wicked who can know it. Your flesh dwells what? No good thing. You can't do it. You can't. So stop saying, I got to, I got to, there's that I again, that whole Laodicean thing, thinking we're so good we can trump sin. We got this thing, man. I'll fix it. You can't fix it. <laughs> I can't fix it. There's only one person that can fix it. And that's Christ. And that's what the tabernacle is all about. Because the tabernacle is Christ. And what the tabernacle is all about is getting rid of you so that he can live through you. Now, you know that's true because Paul says it. What? No, you not. You were bought with a price and your body is the temple of the... I mean, what? how else... This isn't Pastor Frank and what he thinks. This is what the Bible teaches, man. So many today are clueless to what we're talking about right now. And I'm telling you, man, if you're clueless, listen. (laughs) Hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what you want to hear. Hear what I'm saying. I think. That if people truly are saved, they truly are, they truly have gone to that altar, and they truly are saved, that, that cross, okay? I think that what we should term them is believers, because that's what they are. I wouldn't term them as Christians. Now hear me, hear where I'm going with this. What does the term Christian mean? Christ follower. You're not a Christ follower until you are a disciple of Christ. You have now gone from justification to sanctification and you're now moving towards, and by the way, I don't even know that I would say Christ follower. I don't even know that I would say that. I would say this. 
you are moving yourself out of the way so that Christ is in you, living through you. That is the Christian life. That is what the Christian life is all about. And man, you go back and you read guys way before their time, man, they got it. A.W. Tozer, man, that dude got it. Before his time, he was writing stuff that's, he saw what was coming. He saw it. He looked, he, he looked. Uh, if you never, you know, some of you uh, have been here long enough, I've I, I brought you, I would just take a second and go read his little writing that he wrote called Old Cross First New Cross. Just read it, man. Look what Tozer said about this 70 years ago. He knew where we were headed. He saw what was coming. And I would say we are so, he, bro's got to be turning in his grave to know what the church looks like today. This tabernacle thing, it is a very important thing. Because here's the thing. This tabernacle, every bit and every piece of it speaks of Christ. All of it. There's not a thing in it that doesn't speak of Christ. So let me ask you a question, okay? Now, now, now work with me here. I want you to think, if you've been around this church at all, you're going to be able to answer some of these questions I'm about to ask, okay? And you're going to have the biblical mind behind it to go, okay, yes, that, that's true. Let me ask you, when we were born into this world, were we born in the, 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 as children of God? What's the answer? Okay. Were we in the image of God? See, but what do we teach today? We're all children of God. We were made in the image of God. Time out. Hold everything. Let's let the Bible teach us the truth on these matters. Okay. Let, when we were born into this world, now, were Adam and Eve made in the image of God? Were Adam and Eve children of God? Yes, they were. But then something happened. Something very big happened. The, 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 the devil questioned God's word and got Eve to submit to his teaching. Yeah? And when Eve did that, she, she was deceived into eating a piece of fruit. And she took that piece of fruit and handed it to her husband, and then he ate it. And then what happened? Well, as Kathy would say, bad juju went down. We fell into sin. Now, we are no longer children of God. We are the children of the devil. That's why we need to be translated from darkness into the power of his dear son. We're not just born into the kingdom of God. No, you've got to be born again to get in there. Amen. You understand? Okay, so you were born into, now, thankfully, praise the Lord, God doesn't hold children accountable for that. So although they were born into sin, uh, and by the way, we go to Psalms and it says, in my mother's womb I was conceived in iniquity. So there you go. We got a biblical verse to absolutely prove what I'm saying right now. Okay. 
So we were born into that. And if you go to Genesis 5.3, it says, And Adam bore a son in his own image, after his likeness. And what was Adam's image and likeness after the fall? Well, just go to Romans chapter number uh, uh, 5, and just go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 to find out whose image we now bear. We bear the image of the natural man, which is dead in sin. We need a translation. We need something that's going to give us the power to regain sons of God. I'm pretty sure I just quoted John chapter 1 verse 12. And as many as received him, he gave the power to become sons. Well, wait a minute. Are you a son of God before you received him? No. I got a question. If we're all born in the image of God, then why then does Paul consistently in Romans and Colossians and in Ephesians, uh, just off my head, why does he consistently say that we need to be translated into his image? If I'm already in his image, why do I need to be translated into it? Does that even make any sense? No. You need to be translated into it because you're not born into it. You're born with Adam's image. Okay. So then we wonder why, and we get this idea in our head somewhere along the line, we wonder why people who say they claim to follow Christ aren't following Christ. I'll tell you why, because they never got translated. You can't follow something that you don't even have him in you to follow. When God removed Adam and Eve from the garden and he set those cherubim up, if you know anything about the tabernacle, there's this little thing over here in the, in the, in the, in the holy place, the holy of holies. This is called the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. And you want to know what God put on the mercy seat? Two cherubims. I wonder why God would have done that. Huh. That just might have been random. He must have been trying to make a, a, a you know, trying to dress up his, his, his apartment. He said, hey, you know what? It would be really great right here, man. Let's throw, some, let's throw a couple of cherubims, man. That, look, that would look really great. No, 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 no. God don't do anything by accident. There's a reason why he put those cherubim there. Because those cherubim are guarding the, guarding the what? The way. The way to what? What was it that Adam and Eve lost when they were removed from the garden? Huh? Help me. They lost their fellowship with God. They lost their intimacy with God. They no longer had that. So how do you get that back, man? How do you get that back? Well, I just need to be a better person. Is that going to get it back? For by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You can't get it back. I know I do that. I just got to stop doing that. Well, no, you can't stop doing that. You never will stop doing that. You want to know why? Because your flesh will always drive you. It will always drive you. That's what Paul was talking about over there in Romans 8 where he says, and I want to do this, and I can't do this, and I want to do that, and I can't do this. And I know I have a war going on. This war 
is going on in my mind and in my flesh. And I can't do it on my own, so stop trying to do it on your own. And what God did so that he could fix the problem that we had, the lost fellowship where we could enter boldly into his throne of grace, what God did is he pictured what was in heaven the way it was supposed to be with Adam and Eve when they were here before their fall. He pictured that whole thing in the tabernacle down here. Did y'all hear what I just said? He pictured it. That's what the tabernacle is. What is the purpose of the tabernacle? The purpose of the tabernacle, first and foremost, is to repair the fellowship that we lost with him. To open up the doorway, if I could say it that way, Jesus is the door. Yeah, amen. To he is the way. I wonder why he said that. To open up the ability to get into this apparatus in the first place. Because listen, you can't enter into that. You can't go anywhere in there. You couldn't do anything without going right here first. And you want to know what right here is? Where's my marker? Altar of sacrifice. See, this is where God is. To get there, you got to come here first. So what God did, because he is a master picture maker, what he did is, uh, is Moses goes up on that mount, yeah, and he's up on that mount, and God says, okay, Moses, I got two things I want you to bring down. See, most people look at that mountain, what? Yeah, Moses was up there for four, 40, what? Oh, 40. I wonder what 40 has to do with the Bible. I wonder why they were 40 years in the desert wilderness. I wonder why. Because 40 is the number of testing. Okay? How, how long was Jesus in the wilderness for? 40 days. Oh, that's, I'm sure that's all coincidence, but whatever. Anyways, listen. So Moses is up there, and God says, listen, I got two things I want you to bring down. Most people only think of one thing that Moses brought down. Everybody help me. Come on, y'all can answer this one. The Ten Commandments. We got that. We know he brought, oh, but that's not the only thing he brought down. He brought something else down too. He brought down the pattern to build the tabernacle. By the way, what do the Ten Commandments do? Come on, Paul tells us it's the schoolmaster to bring us to, Huh? Come on, help me. Christ. You want to get here? You better take care of the moral problem first at the altar. Y'all with me on this, man? God didn't do any of this by accident. This stuff is seriously <laughs> brought out if we just are willing to pay attention. And is it really 1144 already? Gosh, I'm so bad at this. Why do you let me preach, guys? Don't you know? I, I haven't. I really haven't. Okay, well, I guess we're going to, like I said, that's why I'm not putting a timeline on this. Listen, 
So, so one of the first things God did when he brought Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus was give them the Ten Commandments, how to behave morally. Now, we know, we know that we don't live up to them. And that was the point of them, is to show us. You know, James says, if you offend in even one point, you've offended the whole thing. And I promise you, probably most of us offended one of those Ten Commandments before we even got here this morning. Do you understand? Okay, listen. So, 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 so he, 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 he provides them with, with, with these Ten Commandments. And then the other thing he gave them was this blueprint. And what this blueprint was to do, listen to what I'm about to say, is to prepare the world for what he was ultimately going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ by having them build the tabernacle. I would agree with this statement wholeheartedly, by far the most important item in the Old Testament is the tabernacle. By far the most important item. And I'm just going to ask, in all seriousness, if I came down to you right now and I said, hey, man, go teach us on the tabernacle, how would you do? That's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to do it. No, Amy, get up. No, I'm just joking. I'm not going to do it. But I'm asking you, could you? Could you come up here? Could you tell me what this is, 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 what this is? Could you tell me what this area is called, this area is called, this area is called? Could you tell me what's in the Ark of the Covenant? Could you tell me what they had all the five different sacrifices that were done right here? Could you tell me what the purpose of this was? Could you tell me how you got in here in the first place? Could you tell me how you got in here? Could you tell me what you had to do when you got in there? Could you tell me what this little line right here is? I could keep going. Trust me, there's much more. Could you tell me the four offerings that they brought before them? Could you tell me all the, all the different medals they brought? Could you tell... And you say, well, who cares about all that? Who, why does it matter? Because it only matters because if you want to fix your relationship with Christ, you need to understand it all. So what do you think? Do you think it matters? Because I do. And Paul consistently is referring back to this thing 90% of the time. Did you hear what I said? So this all matters, man. It matters more than we could ever, ever, ever imagine if we're going to build a house, right, Brother John, if you're listening to me uh, right now, uh, uh, Nick, uh, right, you guys, are, you guys are, are, are good at building things, right? Listen, if you're going to build a house, what do you have to do first, David? You've got to lay a foundation, right? If you built a house without laying a foundation, what's going to happen? When Hurricane, whatever the heck the name of it is, I can't even, I don't even know what. I mean, couldn't they just kept it simple and call it Hurricane, Hurricane Abe? Why did they come up with this? I can't even say the word. Yeah, whatever. Kathy would, Kathy would say it. Listen, when the hurricane comes, man, you build your house without a foundation, what's going to happen to the house, especially here in Florida? It's going to, I think Jesus said something about this. I'm pretty sure he talked about building your house on a rock and not building your house. Inside. 
I wonder what it was he was talking about. He was talking about that tabernacle. Build your foundation on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus. And he is the chief cornerstone. I wonder what that's all about. That right there, that's what he's talking about. He's the chief cornerstone. You got to lay, your whole foundation has to be on the rock, which is Christ. You can't build this thing on anything else. Because if you do anything else, you are going to fall. It's going to be like when the big bad wolf comes. He's going to huff and he's going to puff and he's going to blow your house down. And just so you know, the big bad wolf is Satan. And he's going to blow your house down. He's going to every single time because he was so bent on I wills. Yeah. Remember five of them? And that's what he's got you bent on. Because you want to know why? Because without Christ, that's who you'll follow. You say, no, I won't. Listen, there's a dividing line. Christ says either you're for me or you're against me. Simple. Either you're for him or you're not. And the you're not part is you're following Satan. End of story. And I know that sounds harsh and it sounds hard for us to, to, to grasp, but it is the reality of it. That's why he said, I'd rather you be cold. And he didn't give us a dividing middle ground. He said either you're hot or you're cold. End of story. So if we're going to build a house, we absolutely must build it on a foundation. Hebrews 3, 4 says this. For, for every house is builded by some man. You guys back there with me? We're working on it. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 3, 4. Huh? It's what? Oh. Okay. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this. But if I tarry long, Paul says, that thou mayest knowest how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God. That you ought to know how to behave yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of truth. What's he saying, man? Come on, now that you have some tabernacle eyes, what's he talking about? You know how to behave yourself in my house, God says, which is the church and the pillar of the ground of truth on the way, the truth, on the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Huh? I'm sure that's all coincidental. Jesus was just throwing out neat little proverbs. No, no, everything he was saying had a purpose. The word tabernacle 
that word in the Bible, did you know that it's many times translated? As dwelt? Huh? Did you know that? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was made flesh. And what? Come on now. What? Dwelt among us. You know what he did? He tabernacled among us. And you know where he undoubtedly, 100% absolutely, no questions asked, expects that tabernacle of God to be now? Take your fingers. Come on, everybody, lift up your fingers. Lift your fingers to heaven. And now do this. Because that's where it's supposed to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? Well, Pastor Frank, man, I don't know what you're talking about back here. (laughs) Okay, so let me get this straight. That's supposed to be in you, and you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, do you think, now, now, as we're laying the groundwork here, I'm trying to build a foundation, and I'm trying to help us, okay? So nobody take any offense to this. That's not what this is meant to do, is to make you offended and make you think how dumb you are and you don't know anything. No, that's not what I'm trying to do. Okay, what I'm trying to do is help you understand where you truly are in your relationship with him. Because if you are grasping onto this stuff, you got some work to do. And that's okay. Because what do I always say? It's like G.I. Joe. Knowing is half the battle. You got to know what you are before you ever can get to the place of what you're supposed to be. If you don't know what you are, can I just tell you, the little G God of this world is a blinding light. He's a blinding light, and he'll deceive you till the cows come home. And then one day, your eyes are going to close for the very last time, and you're going to take that last breath, and, you know, it's appointed on a man wants to die, and after this, the, okay, and you're going to open your eyes again in front of him, and now you're going to give an account for everything that he had in his book, because his words, he said, is going to judge you in the last day, and I'm just asking Okay, which one are you really going to? What are you talking about, Pastor? Uh, Which judgment are you really going to? Do you even know? Which judgments are there to even know which one you're going to? Do you think which one you go to matters? Do you think maybe it matters what's going to be, I'm going to be held accountable for? No, Pastor, I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I went to the cross. I'm good. Whoa, time out. Is that what 1 Corinthians 15 said? No, 15 15 Corinthians did not say just to believe. What did 1 Corinthians 15 say? You could believe in, no, you got to believe in, receive. And can I just argue the point for a second? Can I just argue the point for a second? 
if this is as far as you ever get in your relationship with fixing your relationship with Christ, if this is as far as you ever get, good luck. I I hope you really did get that far. Maybe you did. I'm not the judge. I'm not the judge. And I hope you really did get that far. But many are going to say to him in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not done many wonderful works from you? And Christ is going to say, what's he going to say? I never knew you. Y'all with me on this, man? Or am I just preaching to myself? I never knew you. How far did you get? How far did you get? You know, you've heard me say this before, right? Man, if I just hung out with my wife (laughs) on Sundays for an hour, and then the rest of the week, I'm out hanging out with other girls, doing whatever I want to do, adultery, idolatry, tempting Christ, and I'm out doing those things. What's my wife going to finally do at some point, if not the next day? Hey, honey, man, on Sundays from 1030 to 12, me and you are going to get together, and we're going to hang out, man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing and praise with you, and we're going to have a good old time, and we're going to get around, and we're going to hear the pastor make us all laugh, and we're going to feel good about ourselves, man, and we're going to walk out of here. And we're gonna, but, but, but once we're done with that, man, do, do, do you go your way, and I'll go mine, and we'll catch up next Sunday. How do you think your marriage is going to go? Do you have a relationship with your wife? You know that that sounds as bad as it gets, but that is 99% of Christians today. That's the relationship. The relationship with Christ is on Sunday morning for an hour. And if you go to an hour and a half, ah, pastor, you're going way too long. But you'll go home and you'll watch a movie for three and a half hours. Huh? You'll go home and watch a movie for three and a half, but you can't listen to a pastor preach out of God's word for an hour and a half. You got to be looking at your watch. When is this guy going to shut up? I remind you, Paul preached from morning till night. Nehemiah preached all the morning into the afternoon. And you want to know what those people were doing? Falling down on their faces and crying out of desperation of knowing they offended a holy God. Do you see how Laodicean we really are? Do you see how lost in the wilderness we really are? And I would just say, the more I'm digging into this stuff, man, and the more I'm seeing it, I would just say the reason why we're all in that wilderness and the reason why we're so far gone from what we're really supposed to be is that is not in us. That's not in us. And because that's not in us, we got no clue. We got no clue. We got no clue. This place of the tabernacle, it was a mobile worship center that was to be placed in the center of Israel's camp. So around this thing, you have Israel's camp. Off to the east, you had Judah and two other tribes. Uh, To the north, 
you had um, Dan and a couple other tribes. And then to the west and to the south, you had the same thing. Uh, I believe the south was Issachar, if I remember correctly, and I can't remember the west. But, but listen, what would happen is when these guys uh, in the book of Numbers, the way God formulated this tabernacle, Moses and Aaron from the house of Levi, okay, they, they were to be the, uh, the, the, the overlook, overlookers of the tabernacle, okay? And they were, the, they, were the, they were the priests, right? They were the priestly tribe. And they were to set this whole thing up, okay? But, 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 but what God did is, he said, when you set this thing up, I want the entrance to it to be facing east. Who? What, what tribe was Jesus born of? What does it say over there? What does it say over there in Matthew 24, 27? For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Where's he going to come from? The east. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. I mean, I know that's a crazy thought. It's almost like God told us everything in advance so that we would know exactly what he expects of us, so that we would know exactly what he's going to do. It's almost like he did. Can I help you with something? He did. We just are so dull of hearing, we ain't listening. <laughs> okay? Listen. So, so, so the tabernacle was always in the center of the camp. Check out Psalm 91. Watch this. There we go. He that, you know you're going to start looking at these words a whole differently now, aren't you? He that what? What? What's that word right there? He that, he that tabernacles in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Can I tell you how you're going to abide in the secret place of the Most High so that you are going to be under his shadow? Can I help you how you get there? That's how you get there. Hey, but Pastor, I really don't understand that. Well, then you probably aren't abiding under his shadow. You probably aren't in his secret place. You probably haven't come to the place of rest. Hey, you know, Pastor, I'm always complaining. I'm always upset about this. I'm always worried about this. Can I tell you why you're always worried about it? Can I tell you why you're always complaining about it? Can I tell you why you're always, you know why now? Because you're not dwelling in the secret place of the most high, abiding in his shadow. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. Yeah, my God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the follower. That would be Satan. And from the noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust. His, his what? Truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Where do you find God's truth? In his word. He's the way, the way and the truth. You want to find truth? 
There's where it is, man. There's where it is. By the way, you want to see something cool? If you think I'm crazy and don't know what I'm talking about, watch this. So you've got three sections, if you will, of the tabernacle. You've got the outer court. You've got the holy place. And you've got the holy of holies. Okay? When you first enter into the tabernacle, you've got the altar of sacrifice. Then you come to the laver of washing. When you immediately enter into the tabernacle, okay, and by the way, you can't get into that tabernacle without coming to the laver of washing first. And I'm going to explain all this as we go forward, okay? But you can't get in there until you have washed yourself and cleansed yourself appropriately. I wonder what consecration is all about. Well, there you go, okay? You can't do that. But when you want, so, so, so get it, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. These curtains are beautiful. Wow, check this out. So here's my labor of washing. Y'all with me? So here I am washing. Okay, okay. I'm washed, yeah, clean, clean, clean. Okay, you're supposed to wash your hands and your feet. Hmm, I wonder if that means anything. Well, we'll, we'll see. Okay, now you get yourself all washed up, and then you peel back the curtain, and you walk it. Okay, now, just help me with this. Back in the day, do you think they flipped down the light switch? No, no, of course not. They didn't have electricity. So when you walked in there, what did you see? Nothing. Can I tell you why you didn't see anything? Because it was dark. You couldn't see. What did you have to do? You had to go to your left, and you had to light the menorah. This is my really shady, beautiful picture of the menorah right there, okay? You had to use what to light it? Oil. Does anybody know what oil represents the anointing of the who? (laughs) Y'all with me on this? To the right, you had the table of showbread. And to the back, you had the altar of incense. Okay. Now, after you've been... You lit, you lit it up there, man. Now you can see what the heck you're doing, right? And then you walk over there, man. You go to the table of showbread, okay? And we're, I'm going to explain all that stuff to you. And then you go back to that altar of incense. And now you've got yourself completely sanctified. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay? Justification. Sanctification. Now you can go. Now you can go behind the veil, to where God what glorification. Y'all got me? Now watch. Who represents the outer court? Because this is all Trinity now. Who do you, when you talk about going to the altar and you talk about washing of the word, I wonder why all that was all used. Who is the one that represents the word of God and you have to go to the altar? That would be Jesus. Now watch. Who's the one that lights up (laughs) your understanding of that word? Who's the one that wrote the word? Who's the one that intercedes for you and me? Because we got no clue how to pray. 
Who is that? What's in here? Whoa, I wonder what's going on there. Here's your Holy Ghost. And then, of course, this should be easy now, because if you didn't figure it out by now, just by process of elimination, you got down to the last part, and that's how you reach the Father. That's how you reach the Father. This, this tabernacle is one of the most unbelievable things. Listen, the physical tabernacle, it must be understood, has absolutely nothing, no bearing, anything to do in any way, shape, or form in our walk with the Lord today. It was specifically intended to serve God's purpose for the nation of Israel. Did you hear what I just said? Well, if that's true then, Pastor Frank, why the heck did you just tell us all that? Who cares? Let's go. I'm hungry. Come on. What are we doing here? Uh, okay. But, but like virtually every aspect of what was happening physically and historically with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it is picturing something spiritually and practically that applies to those of us who compromised the church in the New Testament. That was the whole point of last week's message. Similitudes and how God uses them and how they teach us his doctrinal truths. And I'll just say this. There aren't many similitudes in the Bible I can think of. There might be a few but not many that are more important than understanding what the tabernacle of the Old Testament pictures for us in the New Testament. Did I, did I set the stage hard enough now where I got your attention about this thing? I, I hope I did. I hope I did. Listen, man, what we're about to talk to talk about, and, you, and what did I tell you at the beginning here? Go to Exodus 19, go to, yeah, we didn't even get there. See, see how bad I am? We'll have to get there next week. Now you know we're going next week. Just go read Exodus 19, go read Jeremiah 7, and go read, uh, don't tell me, don't tell me, Hebrews. Hebrews something, three? Go, go read it, and now you'll know where we're going next week, Okay. Listen, this tabernacle thing, man, is pretty, it's pretty serious business, okay? Because what you're going to find, and I just don't have the, uh, we do, we could, but we're not going to dig into all the nitty-gritty of it all, okay? But if you were just to read the book of Leviticus, you would, as, as well as, as, as I would, you would go, man, it is unbelievable how precise God wanted everything. Like, you had to do this like this, exactly like this, because if you didn't do it like this, anybody remember Nadab and Avihu? What happened to him? What happened to those boys? Because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. God, if all you got out of it, man, 
those Old Testament Jews, I feel bad for them because they had to do this stuff so precise. And by the way, they had to do it every single day. And they couldn't mess it up because if they did, they had to be cleansed and taken outside of the camp. And remember, you remember when I said, if you were in this church, if we were with me a couple years ago, I think we actually even lost, potentially lost members because of this. Remember when I said, the church isn't a place or a, or a, uh, uh, a hospital for sinners? I don't think the church is the place where we're supposed to be bringing sinners. That's the church today, and so I'm not going to say don't. It is what it is. But what I'm saying is, but if we put this in its proper perspective, did God want sinners in his tabernacle? Huh? No. Matter of fact, he wrote a whole book (laughs) on how to cleanse and sanctify people so they could even come in his presence. And you say, well, the good thing is, man, we're just in a church. (laughs) Hello? Did you read what I said in 1 Timothy 3? This is the pillar and ground of truth, the church of the living God, which is in you and me. No, 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 no. I don't think what God meant for his church is to be a place and a hospital for sinners. No, 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 no. I think the church is the place where you come to get trained to be how the Christian you've been called to be so that we would stop acting like the sinners we once were. Because you want to know what happens when you bring sin into something that is holy? What does Paul say? A little leaven, leaven it the whole bunch. And because we bought into this whole idea of, oh yeah, see what, we, what we've all bought into, and let's be honest, why is it that we would invite people that are not saved to church? Why would you do that? Because why? Because well, I want to get them saved. I want them to become saved. Oh, because, 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 because pastor told me I need to do it. Why is it me and Pastor Robert's job to preach on the gospel? Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that your job too? Why would you bring a sinner to church so that they can hear the gospel from me? Why not you do it? Because you're supposed to. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying don't invite people to church. (laughs) I didn't say that. What I'm saying is I just am not sure if that's the way God designed this thing. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, how many times does he say, take them outside the camp? And you go, well, that's what they did in the Old Testament. Okay, well, then what did Paul do in 1 Corinthians 5? Huh? Remember the man who committed fornication with his father's wife? Huh? What what happened? Paul said, deliver him unto Satan and get him the heck out of here. 
Because he didn't want sin in the church. He wants to present this body, this virgin, chaste before him. Do, do you understand and do I understand? Well, you know, man, as long how many times have I heard this and it's so not right? Oh, you know, man, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. If you're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace, you have no idea. You have no idea what the Christian life's about. You're just going to stick over there in that justification phase, and you're just going to stay there, and you're going to be all comfy. But I promise you one day you're going to wake up before him, and you're going to find out you weren't just supposed to be sinners saved by grace. God had so much more that he wanted out of you. There was so much more he was looking for, but you were so busy murmuring, committing idolatry, fornicating with the world, and tempting Christ that you forgot. You forgot you were supposed to wash yourself. You forgot you were supposed to walk in the spirit so you didn't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You forgot to go to that table of showbread. You forgot to go to that altar of prayer. You forgot that's how you got in the presence of God. Did any of that help anybody? And all I can tell you is, we didn't even really get into the message today. Wait till next week. Wait when we start really digging into some of these things and you're going to go, Number one, I'm just going to tell you right up front, myself included, we're all going to see just how short we actually come. But that's okay. We got to know what we are if we ever want to get to the place where he wants us. And I need, tell me, tell me my problems so that I can allow God to do what he needs to do in me to fix them. That is not the heart of a Laodicean. That's the heart of a Christian. Y'all with me on that, man? All right. I'm getting a little better. I shaved it by 11 minutes from last week. Huh? Yeah, yeah. She's looking at me like, this is the craziest dude I ever saw in my life. <laughs> You'd be right, by the way. All right. Let's, let's pray and we can uh, be dismissed. Father, Father, we humbly enter into your gates. We humbly come before you, Lord. And as we approach that altar, Lord, we come with nothing but gratitude and thanksgiving. Lord, the fact that you left your temple in heaven to come down here and tabernacle among us to show us how much you were full of grace and truth and so that you could die the death that we most certainly deserved. Lord, I'm not sure any of us in here would ever be able to convey 
our appreciation for what you've done for us. While we were your enemies, you got nailed to a horrific cross for us. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You do deserve our bodies as living sacrifices to you. You do deserve it because it is our reasonable service. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we, as this church, starts to really delve into all that you have to say about this tabernacle, that we would come to church every Sunday with our hearts open, our ears open, our eyes open to hear and see what it is you have to say as we enter into you the place of sanctification. And as we bow down ourselves to your altar of incense, that sweet smelling savor that we want to give up to you so we can enter into your presence and truly worship you for who you are. I pray that we would learn We will learn how to live this Christian life. We will learn how to pray. We will learn how to worship. We will learn the things that you want through these teachings of your tabernacle. And that, Lord, when we come out the other end of this, Lord, if you have still tarried, we would be better for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said...